And it's actually an ego issue because it requires a commitment and a faith to believe what he is saying about you. I mean, have y'all, I mean, y'all, we've all had him say incredible things. You're all, <laughs> you know, stop. That's what I'm talking about. But when he says you're this, okay, that's humility, right? So it's not self-deprecating. It's not anything. It's not calling yourself a worm. It's not calling yourself a sinner. And then a final attribute of humility is obedience. Okay. He asked you, to, okay. Now, it doesn't mean, don't mistake obedience with, okay, you got to work out some logistics and some emotional intelligence issues. Because, you know, if he says, hey, I want you to play guitar. Uh-huh. Okay. And then what did that thing do? Sit there for like two months, three months? I don't know. How long did it sit before the kids moved? So it's probably like half a year. Now, like this morning I got up, I was like, I forgot my guitar lesson yesterday. Well, I'll do it when Mike does his chores tonight. I do my guitar. I look forward to it now. Now, the cats may not look forward to it. The angels may not look forward to it. I know demons definitely don't look forward to it. G might have to cover up his ears because it sounds so terrible right now. But I will tell you that I enjoy now developing this skill. So I had to come into agreement, but between the the prophetic word and now, there was definite emotional things I had to work through and I had to get my, how can I make this a reality and get some tools, okay? So just because you're struggling, struggling is not a sin, okay? Can I just let y'all know that? <laughs> struggling is not a sin. Struggling is a sign of growth. It's messy in the middle, but gorgeous on the end, right? So that's what's so important is as you're developing uh, your mastery over something, it's okay to be messy. God loves mess. He'll bring order out of it. Okay, so you know we're in this situation where he's got to humble himself and he gets angry. So the word uh, referring to Naaman's response means to provoke to anger. But get this, I didn't know it meant this, that arose because people failed to perform their duties properly. So Naaman showed up to Elisha's house expecting Elisha to follow protocol. Okay? So he should have followed protocol. Why is this so important? Guys, some of you that are listening to me now are going to be in the presence of kings and queens, mayors and governors, senators and congressmen and women. There's protocol. But what if God says... Don't go talk to them. Send them a message. You see what I mean? We cannot allow the obligation of title and function in society to prevent us from hearing what the Holy Spirit is saying. Don't assume you know what you're supposed to do. Now, personally, I'm going to follow protocol unless Holy Spirit says different, right? But we've got to be aware no obligation to man or man's status should ever trump Holy Spirit and what he's saying to do. No, you know it's just as humbling for you to not follow protocol as it is the one who is offended because you didn't. Because now your ego, your reputation is on the line. So that's why it's so important. That's why people that are <laughs> prophetic will go through rejection after rejection after rejection after rejection. Because God is killing. He is crucifying fear of man. He is killing man-pleasing. Because you cannot view man as more important than the voice of Holy Ghost. 
but you can definitely not view man more important than your own ego or reputation in the eyes of the Lord. So living before an audience of one, not caring what other people think in a humble way, right? Not an obnoxious way is very important. Is this helping anybody? Okay. All right. So it also is the word often expressed as expressed an authority being angry with the subject, but not always. So in Naaman's mind, Elisha was supposed to be his servant. And Elisha is no man's servant but God's and those that he deems he's supposed to be, which is obvious, the way he interacts with everybody. <laughs> okay, so Naaman had an expectation of what would happen. So now I need people to listen to me that live by expectations. They expect everybody to do this. They expect things to be like this. Expect, expect, expect. And when people don't meet their expectations, they get offended. Elijah would come out observing proper protocol due to a man of his position. He felt that he would wave his hand over Naaman and then cure him. That was Naaman's expectation. This is a perfect example of offense that comes from unmet expectations. Expectations are the meeting ground of offense. Okay? Not meeting ground. That sounded funny. Breeding ground of offense. You made it. Did you have to get a different car? Not the old faithful. Now that's commitment. Right? Got the Chevy and said it runs. Pull your Um, here, let me hand you this. Okay. I don't know what page you're on. Maybe three. someone can tell you. Page three. Okay, so offense from unmet expectations. So we always have an idea of what something should look like, whether it's healing, whether it's a person, whether it's our life. It doesn't matter. We always have an idea. And then when it's not met, what happens? Frustration, irritation, offense with a person. And you know what's fascinating? We'll even get mad at people for not meeting our expectations when we didn't clearly communicate the expectations. Right? So we've got to be careful with that. So unmet expectations are a breeding ground of offense. But here's the deal. Could it be that what is happening right now in your life is exactly how it's supposed to in order to test your heart and see if you're humble? Probably. <laughs> Dream the space. <laughs> or what if what's happening to you is because you prayed for something and it's happening in a way you didn't expect? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> that's what he, so that's the thing is. You've got, that's why perspective, right? And what sound are you listening to? Because we have to stop and ask, okay, what is your perspective on this, Lord? Because this may not be um, what, like the way I'm viewing it may be incorrect. Did I ever show y'all a thought tree? Let me draw it out for you. <clears throat> I teach this. Uh, it's not my original idea. It's uh, Dr. Carolyn Leafs. Mm -hmm. And her app called NeuroCycle is phenomenal. Alright, so we're going to... I'm not an artist like some of you guys. So I know that my tree looks like hairs. 
But let me show you perspective and why you can't trust it and why you have to challenge thoughts. And why emotions can lie to you. Neurocycle, it's an app, but this is a, what thoughts look like in your brain. They look like trees. They've been able to film them, so they, they definitely look like trees. You have a trunk and everything, okay? So if you look at the bottom, you've got the root system, right? And that's what's called your origin story. So the root system is the original story that the seed was planted and then began to produce a tree. So you've got the origin story, and then it produces the trunk, which is the perception. Okay? So the origin story produces the perception of life. So if you've got a good story, like my dad, you know, tell me you can be anything you want to be. I believe that. He told me that enough. Um, plus, I'm a natural D, so I have a naturally high confidence level. But... Still, it was something he told me over and over and over. I can remember being on the semi with him at the age of 17 in the middle of nowhere. I don't even remember what state. I just remember it was nighttime because that's when you like to travel to avoid the way stations. <laughs> and um, so teaching me you know, how to break the law. In the meantime, telling me, you can be president one day. If you want to be president, it doesn't matter. And I just took that to heart because my father is telling me what I can be, right? So that's a good origin story. But if you have bad origin stories, which we all do, then your perception of people and events will be filtered through that. And then from that perception, the branches are thoughts, the uh, leaves are emotions. Okay? So from the perception, you have these thought patterns that begin to grow, and then they produce emotion. Because, Or it can actually happen at the same time. If you have emotion wired to a thought then you have an instant neural pathway that's very deep. Notice how this one's darker? And so neurons that fire together, wire together. That's why I say that all the time. So if there is emotion tied to something, especially your origin story, then you're gonna have instant ways of viewing things that may or may not be accurate. So that's why emotions can lie to you. That's why the emotion you're feeling about something may not necessarily be accurate. The thought you're feeling may not necessarily be accurate. And then the mean hot dog comes into play. So once you have a, neuro, a neural pathway that is ingrained in your brain, it creates a myelin sheath around it. And so that myelin sheath is now protecting that thought, which is why some of us are like, why can I not overcome that habit because thoughts are habits always okay they take time to cultivate anxiety is fed depression is fed anger is fed so they take a lot of um, practice to get this myelin sheath on there so once that myelin sheath's on there your thought is now protected well let's say you recognize that this thought's no longer serving you because thoughts need to serve you not um, hinder you and so you decide to start creating a new little very, very faint thought, okay? So you got this new little thought that you're working on. Maybe it's joy, maybe it's confidence, whatever it is. Guess what? This mean hot dog is what I call it, the myelin sheath, will literally arch itself and attack your new thought. So when you hear mean hot dog, that's what I'm talking about. 
So it's amazing. But over time, as you strengthen that new thought, the other, with all of its emotions and all of its perceptions, will actually begin to die off. But what happens to the root story? Let me give you a secret. When you discuss your origin story with people that you feel understand you, you're literally reframing that origin story into a new positive experience. And it actually takes away the sting of the origin story. And then your perception changes. Isn't that fascinating? Another thing you can do is write and journal because the process of writing with a blue pen actually rewires your brain, okay? But sharing your origin story, in fact, I was um, coaching a, a wife and you know, we came across uh, something that ha had a significant emotional intensity for her husband. <clears throat> and I noticed that when he's reacting in a, a specific way, which he's embarrassed to react that way because he's a seed, he, he's frustrated with himself, but when he's reacting that way, the first thing out of her mouth would be, but, and then she would try to prove her point like a typical D. And so when we met privately, I said, okay, we need to discuss something. And she said, am I saying but all the time? <laughs> yes. I said, because but in the Hebrew negates everything that was said before. So you're dismissing everything he's saying. You're not listening to what is happening here. You're only seeing the goal that you have right in front of you. So what I told her, I said, all you have to do is say, I get it. And then just pause. You know, just let him settle into safety. Because people that have very negative origins, origin stories, which is 100% of the population, need to know there are people that get it. They may not agree with their perception because it's faulty, right? But they do understand where they're coming from because we've all experienced painful origin stories. So when you're ministering to people, sometimes that's the best thing you can say. I get it. You know? And you may be surprised. They may get even more emotional. They may sigh. You may see their body language relax. I mean, there's so many things that you might see. They may compose themselves. So these are things that you can do with your loved ones, with people you're ministering to, and they will feel like they're the only person in the room. What you want to do? You want them to make... Because the person you're ministering to was sent to you because they are the only person that matters in that moment when you're ministering to them. And if you can make them feel that way, it'll change their whole world and how they see themselves. So, man, I don't know, man, we're getting all, uh, into all kinds of stuff here. Okay, so here we have, he is upset, but God is testing his heart. He's seeing if he's humble. Now, we also have the fact that he's offended because he wants him to wash in this nasty river when he could go to one of his beautiful rivers in Damascus. Now, Damascus was a hotbed of resistance and hostility toward Israel, still is, so he's getting madder. Almost destroyed by the time change, obviously. So now we'll, we'll just go ahead and get started with our teaching. You know, actually, I do not like this time change at all. Losing that hour. Uh, <laughs> but it's a good thing that we have power over our emotions. I can't say anything. I start watching Democrats. I lose my emotional state. <laughs> I've actually been getting better, though. Well, I've just been ignoring them. Okay, so I've got a couple jokes here. 
What kind of man was Boaz when he married Ruth? He's ruthless. Yes! Yes! <laughs> oh, oh, wow. Good one. I like that one. <laughs> okay. What kind of car does Jesus typically drive? Hey. Chrysler. <laughs> and then the final one. What excuse did Adam give his children about why he no longer lived in Eden? You probably will not get this one. Yeah. Your mother, your mother did it, or your mother made me, or your mother ate us out of house and home. Oh, mother ate us. Oh. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Okay, so we are um, in uh, 2 Kings chapter 5. This one's a really good lesson on uh, humility. And, you know, one of the, my favorite sayings that I remember, gosh, it's probably like 20 years now that I heard Rick Joyner say, is that God will often offend our, or He'll often offend us to test our hearts, meaning He'll use packages He'll use uh, circumstances and situations to see if we're going to listen. So like, for example, you've got uh, Pharaoh Necho, who went out to battle to fight the Assyrians, and uh, the, yeah, and then Josiah, the king that led revival in Israel, went out to fight against Necho, and Necho's like, hey, you probably need to go home because your God, Yahweh, is the one that told me uh, to fight the Assyrians. And because he was a heathen, and Josiah, obviously a true follower of God, he didn't pay attention to what he said, and he got fatally wounded and died. So we've got a story today where it's the same thing, where Naaman, you know, a person of authority, a person of rank and importance, goes to an Israelite, a Jew, which I'm sure was definitely under or beneath them because they've been thought that way for centuries and centuries. Uh, he goes to get a healing, and whenever he's given instructions by a servant versus the prophet himself, he's offended. But what I find in the Bible is a lot of times those that don't know God are actually more humble than those who do. And so that's something that we definitely need to understand that just because we have faith, just because we believe in Jesus, number one, it doesn't make us better, but it also means that we don't always hear 100% of the time. So whenever there's something that's happening where you can feel that offense because it's coming through maybe a person you don't like or maybe someone that doesn't know the Lord, etc., you need to pause. That's why uh, another saying that Rick Joyner had was, all criticism, whether they're from friends or enemy, need to be taken to the Lord because even your enemies might have some truth in there of things that they see that you need to ask the Holy Spirit about. So this is a perfect example of that. We're going to start in uh, 2 Kings chapter 5, and uh, we'll start with verse 1. What flavor of cocoa did you get, Richard? Uh, okay, very Okay, very good, very good. So where's the cocoa table? <laughs> the cocoa table. 
Roberta. Mm -hmm. Oh, you got cocoa? Man, you guys. Okay, so Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Now, that's amazing. Understand that this little girl was kidnapped from her home in Israel by an enemy army. She's now enslaved against her choice. And she's like, man, I just wish that, you know, my master would go visit the prophet because he could be healed. Maybe I should substitute certain words there. Now the Democrats on one of their raids had no just kidding. So that way I didn't have that heart. Uh, but that's amazing to me. That is such humility. So Naaman went in and he told his Lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. So the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. Now this is important because he can't just go into Israel's land because they're enemies. So if he shows up there, it might cause a war. So he went taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. Okay, so again, we've got these enemy nations. We have the fact that, did y'all notice also the author said that the Lord had given him victory in Syria. That's interesting. Now, that might be the perspective of the author, uh, but... The perspective that they have is if you are victorious in war, the Lord was on your side because there's only one God to them. Um, I'm not sure I'm of that mind. Uh, I mean, maybe so. I think Ukraine will prove out whether that's the truth, you know, or whether it's man's perspective. You know, like when you have, uh, and I don't want anybody to be like, oh my gosh, is she saying the word of God is without error? No, I'm, or is it without error? No, what I'm saying is that humans would sometimes interject their thoughts. One of the um, examples of that is Paul. He said, now this is me writing. Remember? In Corinthians. So, uh, another example is there's nothing new under the sun. Well, Jesus was new under the sun, and he brought new teaching that had never been heard and new authority. Uh, so what I'm saying is, just like they thought God gave sicknesses to you and we know according to the New Testament that nothing evil comes from him and that the reality is his hand is actually withdrawn as far as protection I'm curious if you win a war does that mean God's on your side well we would have to take you know China and communism and we would have to say that God was on their side right so that's what I'm saying I don't know if this is the author's perspective or a reality but again it's a sign of humility and uh, so here we have this man, an enemy of Israel. We have a slave girl from Israel having a genuine desire for her master uh, to be healed. And so he takes some, uh, some riches with him because that's what you do. And uh, the word carried, by the way, means to lead away captive. So she was a prisoner or a spoil of war. Uh, it also would mean that she would never marry. She missed her family and her parents were probably missing her or they were already dead. 
Okay, so that's her heart, which I absolutely love. So in verse 6, it says, He brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore, tore his clothes and said, Am I a god to kill and to make a lie that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. So this is miscommunication. Obviously, the king who is writing to the king of Israel on behalf of Naaman doesn't understand it's not the king who is going to heal Naaman. It's the prophet that's in the land. So when the king receives this letter, you can see the tension between the two countries because he's like, "What? first of all, I'm not a god, which they considered themselves gods in those other countries. Kings did, right? So he's like, I'm not a god, number one. Number two, this is a trick. He's trying to get me into a quarrel. He's trying to pick a fight with me uh, over this situation. So the, it is giving you the mindset of what's going on here. But thank goodness for the prophet. Because in verse 8, But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he said to the king, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman with his horses and chariots, so imagine the entourage, they stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha, Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored, and you shall be king. Now Naaman was clean. Now Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farper the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not go wash in them and be clean? So he turned and he went away in a rage. Okay, so you know we sterilize these stories. So let's kind of picture this, right? So it's like, Let's say that, who's the general that's in charge? Millie. Let's say that Millie shows up to your house with his entourage of security, blah, blah, blah. His chariot, so he you know, have a few tanks. <laughs> Maybe, you know, some bulletproof vehicles. And uh, you send out your child to say, yeah, go ahead and just go wash at Green Acres. Okay? I personally would be like, Wait, what do you mean? First of all, I've got a beautiful, you know, Sea of Galilee or something that I can go wash in, and you're telling me to go over to a pond? Number one. Number two, you send your servant. I mean, just imagine this is a man of rank. He has victory under his belt. He feels he deserves some, you know, consideration, which he probably does. I would feel weird sending my servant, actually. I would feel obligated to uh, address him. And then you send a servant. So that's what's going on, but that's exactly what I was saying at the beginning. This is one of those God-ordained offenses that he is sending to Naaman to see if Naaman is going to humble his heart. Here's the deal. His desire overcame his emotion. That's so important. His desire overcame his emotion, and he had good people around him to remind him of his desire. Okay, so this is, this is an interesting story to me because 
man, it just is such an affront for Elisha to not even come to the door. But did y'all notice a pattern? He does that a lot. Like, he usually will not talk. Like, well, the only reason I'm talking to you is because this guy's here. I mean, he just had this attitude, right? Okay, so um, let's see here. Now, I put in here, <laughs> as you'll see underneath the verse, O-M-G. <laughs> because this, I mean, part of their calling in apostles as well, they offend and disrupt the hearts of men. You got to know that. When you're dealing with someone that's apostolic or in the office <coughs> of apostle, same thing with prophet. And I'm not talking about those kooky prophets um, that show up to meetings and without any relationship begin to curse entire congregations or throw stuff on people and um, act all crazy. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about true prophets that have relevance and they are using their gift for society that they will offend people just naturally. You know, it was interesting listening, not saying that President Trump's a prophet, but he's a prognosticator. So one of the things with prognosticators is you can think of them as the world's idea of a prophet. So they're able to see future events and know what's coming. Well, a lot of people don't want to know what's coming. A lot of people didn't know, want to know that gas prices were going to hit 5 or $6, which is exactly what he said. A lot of people didn't want to hear that we would uh, probably end up in wars, which we are. A lot of people didn't want to hear what he said. Even uh, the Communist News Network would say um, that he uh, is just all doom and gloom. Okay, so that's what I'm talking about. Prophets and apostles will tell it like it is. The key is you don't want to do that if that is your function just because. You know, you don't want to just go around hurting people or offending people just because you can. I guarantee you can literally just walk in a room and start making people uncomfortable or say one thing if you have that anointing. Okay, so um, anyway, for Elisha, what he's doing is, and I, I wonder if, the, let me just preface it with, this is my thoughts on what he's doing. He might be kind of like, don't be trying any funny stuff because I'll know. Remember, this is an enemy combatant. So he, he may not trust him either. Uh, but he may also want to, um, you know, see if he has any uh, humility. Okay, so to summarize, as a commander of the Syrian army, Naaman was immediately offended that, number one, Elisha didn't speak to him personally. Two, that he told him to go wash in a dirty old river. But here's the key. Will he humble himself because if you want to know how to attract God, if you want to know how to woo God, it's humility. It, he, it's like moth to a, uh, to a light. He loves humility and uh, so that's what uh, God is trying to do here on top of that there's a lot of prophetic symbolism but the word Jordan means quote the one going down because it is the lowest river on the earth it drops 1200 feet below sea level and then it empties into the dead sea so again we see that there's a humility. He's got to go to the lowest part of the earth. Because what's the principle? Those that exalt themselves, God will humble. Those that humble themselves, God will exalt. So we've got this exalted man, and God is requiring him to humble himself to the lowest part of the earth. And then he will exalt him to health. And so the principles in here are just fascinating. 
one of the best things you can do is cultivate cultivate humility in your life. Uh, and and by the way, people that have certain personalities are naturally humble. But I can guarantee you, I have seen more ego out of naturally humble uh, personalities than I have in those that come off as extremely prideful, like D's and I's. So ego will sometimes show itself as false humility or pride. They're both on the same coin, okay? So here's the thing. We've got this man that God has a heart to heal, but he has to pass certain tests. Years ago, I asked the Lord, I was like, okay, so you've got these greats. You know, you got like the local pastor here in town. You've got, you know, uh, uh, Ted uh, Haggard. You got all these people that have amazing anointing, gifting, skill sets, etc. And then they fall. So I asked the Lord, I said, what is the key to longevity? He said, humility. And so to me, humility is simply saying what God says about you. Humility is understanding that you know, and He knows, there is no way you would be doing what you're doing, accomplishing what you're accomplishing without Him. True humility is when people give you a compliment, you actually say thank you. And then on the inside, you're like, we know, Lord. You know what I mean? Uh, false humility is speaking lies about yourself. In fact, uh, when God says you're something and then you can't say it or you don't believe it, then that's actually a pride issue and it's actually an ego issue because it requires a commitment and a faith to believe what He is saying about you. I mean, have y'all, I mean, y'all, we've all had Him say incredible things. You're all, <laughs> you know, stop. That's what I'm talking about. But when He says you're this, okay. That's humility, right? So it's not self-deprecating. It's not anything. It's not calling yourself a worm. It's not calling yourself a sinner. And then a final attribute of humility is obedience. Okay, he asked you. Okay, now it doesn't mean don't mistake obedience with okay. You got to work out some logistics and some emotional intelligence issues, because you know if he says, hey, I want you to play guitar, uh huh. Okay. And then what did that thing do? Sit there for like two months, three months? I don't know. How long did it sit before the kids moved? So it's probably like half a year. Now, like this morning I got up, I was like, I forgot my guitar lesson yesterday. Well, I'll do it when Mike does his chores tonight. i do my guitar. I look forward to it now. Now, the cats may not look forward to it. The angels may not look forward to it. I know demons definitely don't look forward to it. G might have to cover up his ears because it sounds so terrible right now. But I will tell you that I enjoy now developing this skill. So I had to come into agreement, but between the the prophetic word and now, there was definite emotional things I had to work through and I had to get my, how can I make this a reality and get some tools, okay? So just because you're struggling, struggling is not a sin, okay? You can't just let y'all know that. <laughs> struggling is not a sin. Struggling is a sign of growth. It's messy in the middle, but gorgeous on the end, right? So that's what's so important is as you're developing uh, your mastery over something, it's okay to be messy. God loves mess. He'll bring order out of it. Okay, so, you know, we're in this situation where he's got to humble himself and he gets angry. So the word uh, <coughs> referring to Naaman's response means to provoke to anger but get this, I didn't know it meant this, that arose because people failed to perform their duties properly. So Naaman 
showed up to Elisha's house expecting Elisha to follow protocol. Okay? So he should have followed protocol. Why is this so important? Guys, some of you that are listening to me now are going to be in the presence of kings and queens, mayors and governors, senators and congressmen and women. There's protocol. But what if God says, don't go talk to them, send them a message? You see what I mean? We cannot allow the obligation of title and function in society to prevent us from hearing what the Holy Spirit is saying. Don't assume you know what you're supposed to do. Now, personally, I'm going to follow protocol unless Holy Spirit says different, right? But we've got to be aware, no obligation to man or man's status should ever trump Holy Spirit and what He's saying to do. No, you know it's just as humbling for you to not follow protocol as it is the one who is offended because you didn't? Because now your ego, your reputation is on the line. So that's why it's so important. That's why people that are prophetic will go through rejection after rejection after rejection after rejection because God is killing. He is crucifying fear of man. He is killing man-pleasing because you cannot view man as more important than the voice of Holy Ghost, but you can definitely not view man more important than your own ego or reputation in the eyes of the Lord. So living before an audience of one, not caring what other people think in a humble way, right? Not an obnoxious way is very important. Is this helping anybody? Okay. All right. So it also is the word often expressed as expressed an authority being angry with the subject, but not always. So in Naaman's mind, Elisha was supposed to be his servant. And Elisha is no man's servant but God's and those that he deems he's supposed to be, which is obvious, the way he interacts with everybody. <laughs> okay, so Naaman had an expectation of what would happen. So now I need people to listen to me that live by expectations. They expect everybody to do this. They expect things to be like this. Expect, expect, expect. And when people don't meet their expectations, they get offended. Elijah would come out observing proper protocol due to a man of his position. He felt that he would wave his hand over Naaman and then cure him. That was Naaman's expectation. This is a perfect example of offense that comes from unmet expectations. Expectations are the meeting ground of offense. Okay? Not meeting ground. That sounded funny. Breeding ground of offense. You made it. Did you have to get a different car? Not the old faithful. Now that's commitment. Right? Got the Chevy and said it runs. Pull your together. Um, here, let me hand you this. Okay. I don't know what page you're on. Maybe someone can tell you. Page three. Okay, so offense from unmet expectations. So we always have an idea of what something should look like, whether it's healing, whether it's a person, whether it's our life, it doesn't matter. We always have an idea. And then when it's not met, what happens? Frustration, irritation, offense with a person. And you know what's fascinating? We'll even get mad at people for not meeting our expectations when we didn't clearly communicate the expectations, right? 
So we've got to be careful with that. So unmet expectations are a breeding ground of offense. But here's the deal. Could it be that what is happening right now in your life is exactly how it's supposed to in order to test your heart and see if you're humble? Probably. <laughs> Drink <Dream of> space. <laughs> <laughs> or what if what's happening to you is because you prayed for something and it's happening in a way you didn't expect? Probably. <laughs> so that's the thing is you've got that's why perspective right and what sound are you listening to because we have to stop and ask okay what is your perspective on this Lord because this may not be um, what like the way I'm viewing it may be incorrect did I ever show y'all a thought tree Let me draw it out for you. <clears throat> I teach this. Uh, it's not my original idea. It's uh, Dr. Carolyn Leafs. Mm -hmm. And her app called NeuroCycle is phenomenal. All right, so we're gonna, I'm not an artist like some of you guys. So I know that my tree looks like hairs. But let me show you perspective and why you can't trust it and why you have to challenge thoughts. And why emotions can lie to you. And that's she said you said she calls it neuron cycle. Neurocycle, it's an app. But this is a what thoughts look like in your brain. They look like trees. They've been able to film them. So they, they definitely look like trees. You have a trunk and everything, okay? So if you look at the bottom, you've got the root system, right? And that's what's called your origin story. So the root system is the original story that the seed was planted and then began to produce a tree. So you've got the origin story and then it produces the trunk, which is the perception, okay? So the origin story produces the perception of life. So if you've got a good story, like my dad, you know, telling me you can be anything you want to be, I believe that. He told me that enough. Um, plus I am a natural D, so I have a naturally high confidence level. But still, it was something he told me over and over and over. I can remember being on the semi with him <coughs> at the age of 17 in the middle of nowhere. I don't even remember what state. I just remember it was nighttime because that's when you like to travel to avoid the way stations. <laughs> and um, so teaching me, you know, how to break the law. In the meantime, telling me, <laughs> you can be president one day. If you want to be president, it doesn't matter. And I just took that to heart because my father is telling me what I can be, right? So that's a good origin story. But if you have bad origin stories, which we all do, then your perception of people and events will be filtered through that. And then from that perception, the branches are thoughts, the uh, leaves are emotions. Okay? So from the perception, you have these thought patterns that begin to grow, and then they produce emotion. because, Or it can actually happen at the same time. If you have emotion wired to a thought, then you have an instant neural pathway that's very deep. Notice how this one's darker? 
And so neurons that fire together wire together. That's why I say that all the time. So if there is emotion tied to something, especially your origin story, then you're going to have instant ways of viewing things that may or may not be accurate. So that's why emotions can lie to you. That's why the emotion you're feeling about something may not necessarily be accurate. The thought you're feeling may not necessarily be accurate. And then the mean hot dog comes into play. So once you have a, neuro, a neural pathway that is ingrained in your brain, it creates a myelin sheath around it. And so that myelin sheath is now protecting that thought, which is why some of us are like, why can I not overcome that habit? Because thoughts are habits, always. Okay? They take time to cultivate. Anxiety is fed. Depression is fed. Anger is fed. So they take a lot of... Um, practice to get this myelin sheath on there. So once that myelin sheath's on there, your thought is now protected. Well, let's say you recognize that this thought's no longer serving you because thoughts need to serve you, not um, hinder you. And so you decide to start creating a new little, very, very faint thought. Okay, so you got this new little thought that you're working on. Maybe it's joy, maybe it's confidence, whatever it is. Guess what? This mean hot dog is what I call it, the myelin sheath will literally arch itself and attack your new thought. So when you hear mean hot dog, that's what I'm talking about. So it's amazing. But over time, as you strengthen that new thought, the other, with all of its emotions and all of its perceptions, will actually begin to die off. But what happens to the root story? Let me give you a secret. When you discuss your origin story with people that you feel understand you, you're literally reframing that origin story into a new positive experience. And it actually takes away the sting of the origin story. And then your perception changes. Isn't that fascinating? Another thing you can do is write and journal because the process of writing with the blue pen actually rewires your brain. Okay, but sharing your origin story. In fact, I was um, coaching a, a wife, and you know, we came across uh, something that ha had a significant emotional intensity for her husband. <clears throat> and I noticed that when he's reacting in a, a specific way, which he's embarrassed to react that way because he's a seed, he, he's frustrated with himself. But when he's reacting that way, the first thing out of her mouth would be "but," and then she would try to prove her point like a typical D. And so when we met privately, I said, okay, we need to discuss something. And she said, am I saying but all the time? <laughs> yes. I said, because but in the Hebrew negates everything that was said before. So you're dismissing everything he's saying. You're not listening to what is happening here. You're only seeing the goal that you have right in front of you. So what I told her, I said, all you have to do is say, I get it. And then just pause. You know, just let him settle into safety. Because people that have very negative origins, origin stories, which is 100% of the population, need to know there are people that get it. They may not agree with their perception because it's faulty, right? But they do understand where they're coming from because we've all experienced painful origin stories. So when you're ministering to people, sometimes that's the best thing you can say. I get it. You know? And you may be surprised. They may get even more emotional. 
They may sigh. You may see their body language relax. I mean, there's so many things that you might see. They may compose themselves. So these are things that you can do with your loved ones, with people you're ministering to, and they will feel like they're the only person in the room. What you want to do? You want them to make... Because the person you're ministering to was sent to you because they are the only person that matters in that moment when you're ministering to them. And if you can make them feel that way, it'll change their whole world and how they see themselves. So, man, I don't know. Man, we're getting all, uh, into all kinds of stuff here. Okay. So here we have, he is upset, but God is testing his heart. He's seeing if he's humble. Now, we also have the fact that he's offended because he wants him to wash in this nasty river when he could go to one of his beautiful rivers in Damascus. Now, Damascus was a hotbed of resistance and hostility toward Israel, still is, so he's getting madder. So the Bible says that he was in a rage. Rage means wrath, heat, indignation, and poison. Interesting. Poison is interesting because anger is a poison. It slowly eats away and kills what is good and what is peaceful. I um, was talking to Mike, I think it might have been Friday night, um, and I said, you know, I've just not watch the news when he's like not there. Like I don't mind checking in when he's there and stuff, but um, I turn it off because I just, it just, the whole thing is just makes me mad. <laughs> and so I just turn it off and I'll listen to music or something or just silence is also good. But um, I started working with that NeuroCycle app because I'm intrigued with it. I want to see how she does it because I have an app idea in the future. And you pick a topic and one of the things I picked was uncertainty. And I was like, okay, I want to deal with uncertainty because there are things that are very uncertain. And uh, so I did did her little thing the first time. And I like that she's a Christian. But I'm curious. I'll need to dig into that more because she has a couple interesting people on her podcast. But anyway, so I'm listening to the uncertainty. And one of the questions was, when, when do you remember the first time being uncertain? Well, I don't know the first time I was uncertain. But what I did come to a conclusion is that any time times were good, in a 24-hour period, they could be really bad as a kid. Did you ever experience that? Things are good. You got, you know, your dad's happy. Money's good. School's good. And then all of a sudden, everything falls apart. So to me, uncertainty is tied to absolute disaster. Everything that was good went south fast. So now I tie uncertainty with an amygdala response of instant fear and anxiety when uncertainty doesn't necessarily have to be something like that, right? And then one of the things she says, have your statement anytime you feel uncertainty. My statement was, God is certain all of the time, right? So that's anytime I feel it, God is certain all of the time. And so those are the types of things that you can begin to work on your origin story. Just the insight alone helped me so much. And it's like a 60-something day process you can go through with her. But anyway, these are just tools that can be very beneficial. Well, I'm not too sure whenever you get into that, do it, if you reinforce <laughs> it with Scripture, it, it amplifies it. it. 100%. 100%. Like, the other day, you know what I... Kathy, 
<laughs> you may just have to send me a reminder. Get your Passion Translation Bible and put it in your bag. Let me read you guys this. So, it's been, what, two to three weeks of an incredible amount of work. Um, I launched my planners. And I knew that was something the Lord's like really focused on. So I had to get the wet, you know, the landing page done, which by the way, Doreen is on there. Um, I might show it to you guys. But uh, with any time you're at the finish line, you're, well, I don't know what you guys do. What I do is I become a, like a, what do I become? Bulldog. Bulldog. <laughs> and, <clears throat> that's funny, bulldog. <laughs> I love Mike. He um, has been working with a guy at, you know, that has to do community service. You know, they have their faces all covered in tats and stuff. And he was telling us how hard working this one guy was. He said, and he called me dog. That's a good thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's good dog or something like that. Like that, it's you're in with them. But anyway, um, so I become a, a bulldog. And it's hard, which the word hard does not encompass what I'm feeling on the inside. So if you can imagine what I'm feeling on the inside, to pull myself away from finishing it. It's like the the um, people that climb Mount Everest and they know they're out of oxygen, but they'll keep going because they're so close. That's kind of how I am. So, it's and it's funny how Holy Spirit operates. I'm just taking you inside my world for a minute. So Monday, you know, is not too bad. Tuesday was just incredibly busy. And this is on top of all the other work, right? So I was focused on it and uh, I was like, you know, I'm just gonna keep working. But I felt bad because I, I didn't keep my four o'clock appointment with the Lord, which is where he's literally waiting at the door, obviously, because he'll be like, hey, read this, read this, do this, do that. And I was feeling that guilt. And uh, so I went over to plug uh, my um, pin in to charge it, and Holy Spirit said, give yourself grace. I was like, thank you. Thank you, I appreciate that. So then the next day, you know, bulldog, and the Lord's like, <clears throat> <laughs> okay, I was late to my appointment. I walk in, I sit down. He says, hey, go ahead and grab Jesus calling. Okay. So I grab it. He says, read page 96 for me. Okay. Here we go. I'm calling you to a life of constant communion with me. Basic training includes learning to live above your circumstances, even while interacting on that cluttered pain of life. You yearn for a simplified lifestyle so that your communication with me can be uninterrupted. But I challenge you to relinquish the fantasy of an uncluttered world. Talk with me about every aspect of your day, including your feelings. Remember that your ultimate goal is not to control or fix everything around you. It's to keep communing with me. Do not let your to-do list, written or mental, become an idol directing your life. Instead, Ask my spirit to guide you moment by moment. He will always keep you close to me. So then he gave me your strength achieving goals overextended becomes a weakness. And then he gave me like several scriptures in the passion, which I don't have. This is the type of thing I'm talking about where I've got an origin story somewhere. But here you've got Holy Spirit where one day he's saying, give yourself grace. The next day he's like, where are you? I'm waiting. Right? So that's what I'm talking about. I don't even know why I'm on this right now. But the, the idea of emotions and even the good things that you're going after, if overextended, can become a problem. And did you notice the ultimate goal is communion with Him? 
Because here's the reality. Even though he gave me an assignment, it doesn't mean that assignment should ever trump intimacy. So no matter what he gives you, it should never trump communion with him. And that's humility. Stopping what you're doing and doing what he says. Can you write that? Humility is stopping what you're doing and doing what he says. And even, let's uh, add, um, stopping what you're thinking and thinking what he's thinking would be humility as well. Those would be some good quotes. Okay, so let's get to verses 13 uh, through 14. So he's mad. He's being poisoned by his anger. It, his emotion is overwhelming his desire. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? In other words, it's so easy. All you have to do is what he said. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of, man, of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. This right here, I wish more people would do that do our intensives. It's simple. What, what God tells you to do is simple. They're saying, you can't get any easier than this. You literally just have to go to a river and dip seven times, and you will have the very thing you want. You know, that's why I sometimes feel all you have to do is get up every day and do this before you do anything else, which takes, according to Dorena, five minutes, and your whole life will change. But what happens? The origin story gets in the way, right? I was talking to a girl the other day, and I said, okay, don't come to class Thursday without your DCA. Don't come to class without your definite chief aim. I'm telling you, coach will not like it. <laughs> I tend to be a little more merciful. And so I said, so talk to me. Tell me what it is. And so she starts talking. And then all of a sudden, I had this insight. I said, you want to create experiences where people can feel like a kid because you never did. Broke down. And said, absolutely. She starts crying. She said, why is it every time I'm around you or coach? <laughs> you know, I'm like, I can't. How am I supposed to go back in there and say, yeah, it was a really good experience y'all are about to have. I just did it looking like this. Like I have to recover an hour every time I talk to you before I can go out in the public. But that was an insight for her to where now she could take the origin story that was negative and create a whole new thing if she does the very thing I'm asking, right? So sometimes God's like, just do this. But there's all this emotional intensity and struggle that's surrounding it. Oh, I think even just basic salvation. Absolutely. There's people, it's too easy. They just, they feel like they've got to do something because they're all in this performance thing. And it's, you know, they don't realize you just accept and that's all you have to do. That is so true. And that, that's priceless right there because you have, it's this easy. And then the performance, like they feel like they need to help out and they need to do these certain things or they overcomplicate the whole idea of salvation. What is that? Pride. It's ego. That's exactly what we're talking about. The title of this is the pride of life. That's exactly what it is. When it, do you know that procrastination is a sign you hate yourself? I learned that this morning. I was like, what? I can't get too deep into it, but just kind of ponder that thought over the next week. All of it's tied to ego. All of it's tied to pride. Whether you're self-sabotaging or you're elevating yourself, it's all the pride of life. Complicating it. Not believing. Not having faith. So, I love how the servants addressed him because they called him father. 
The reason they did that is they wanted to access and appeal to his tenderness and to convey respect and honor. Also, the word great means importance. They're reminding him uh, that the word from the prophet is important. So his response will determine if he's healed and require him to rise above anger and offense, which he did. Now listen to the Amplified of this passage in verse 13. And his servants came near and said, My father, if the prophet had bid you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much rather than when he says to you, wash and be clean? In other words, they're pointing out that he's actually angry at the fact that the prophet didn't bid him to do something important. And he didn't treat him with importance, but they're carefully pointing out his pride. They're saying, hey, you know, we know it's not going the way you wanted and how you feel it should as a man of importance, but are you going to let your pride, which is outwardly displaying itself in leprosy, stop you from being healed, right? So the prophet was actually, get this, getting to the heart issue of the leprosy Naaman had. So whenever you're feeling that emotion, whenever you're feeling that that thing that's happening on the inside of you when someone is asking you to do something or God is asking you to do something, He's actually not dealing with your external symptom. He's dealing with the heart issue that got you there in the first place because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So God is not addressing your external circumstance. He will always go to your heart. Always. Isn't that fascinating? So that's why the outward circumstances may seem a complete opposite of what you're asking because God is not concerned with that. He knows that's simply a manifestation of an inward situation. Your internal will always affect your external. If you want to know what you're thinking, just look around you. Just look at your, your own life, okay? So, I mean, to me, this is just good stuff. These are good things. So he obeyed. Humility cleanses and purifies. Okay, now, he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and he stood before me and said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But the man of God said, Well, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. He urged him to take it, but he refused. So Naaman said, Well, if not, please let it be given to your servant two mule loads of dearth, for from now on your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes in the house of Rimen to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimen. Um, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. And he said, Go in peace. Okay, now this is incredible. Let me, let me tell you what's going on here. Okay, so Israel and Syria, another name for Syria is Aram uh, in the Bible. They were ethnically related through Abraham. Remember, he kept having kids. Like once he got that word new life in his body, he just kept, you know, producing all these kiddos. Is that where we get Armenian? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so, uh, well, yeah, it's right there, uh, Aramean. Now, um, Abraham was from... Uh, Haran in southern Turkey. Jacob was also Aramean, and his uncle Laban was Aramean as well as his grandfather Bethuel. The most lasting legacy of the Arameans is their language that we even have today. It's, it was a common language of the Jews, actually, and a lot of the Bible is Aramaic. So Aramaic is the language 
that the Syrian guy uh, spoke in, the Lord spoke in, and a lot of the Bible was translated. Okay, over time, the Aramean tribes in Syria, they became very powerful city-state monarchies with well-fortified cities and grand palaces. Each city had its own pantheons of gods as well as a patron deity, okay? The most prominent was Hadad. He was the uh, weather fertility god. For Naaman in Damascus, the patron deity was the temple of Hadad Remen. Hadad was the thunderer. Now, Abraham was called out of that paganism to serve the one true God and to establish the nation that we now know of as Israel. Uh, but, uh, well, let me go back to the, the, the uh, earth. Okay, so when he said in this context, there is no God in all the earth but Israel, this was profound because he was saying, I believe in the one true God only. However, his duties as the commander of the Syrian army would require him to go into a pagan temple. So what he wanted to do is he wanted to take earth from Israel with him to Damascus and only offer a sacrifice to the one true God, Yahweh. He was hoping that when he had to go into the house of Rimmon, and the king would lean upon him. In other words, he, his arm, the king would take his arm and he would lead him into the temple for the king to worship. That Elijah could get forgiveness for him from God because he was going to have to do his duties. I mean, it was certain death. If, if he didn't go in, it was certain death. And so Elijah's like, it's all right. You know, you believe in God, go on. Now, this would be so offensive to many. You know, and we probably would not say that today. You know what I mean? Like today, yeah, no, we're, you know. But we do have the situation where Daniel was put in charge of the, you know, lead satanic cult. And because of his influence, the wise men came to find the one true God that was born, right? So sometimes you're put in the middle of situations that can be very uncomfortable. Okay, so Naaman had a conflict in his heart because he realized it wasn't any of the other gods that healed him. It was only the God of Israel. And he didn't want to betray his newfound loyalty to God, and that's why he wanted the earth. It was commonly thought that a deity could only be worshipped on the soil of the nation to which he or she was bound. So God, or Naaman, wanted to take God with him. <laughs> Not understanding that he wasn't confined to the soil. So basically, he's a baby. He's a baby Christian. You know, he's a baby God follower, and he thinks, well, maybe if I take this earth with me, I can take God with me. And Elijah's like, no, God's everywhere. You know, you don't have to worry about that. I think that's so if, if cute's an okay term for a commander. Okay, so he told him to go in peace. Uh, verse 19, but when Naaman had gone with, uh, from him a short distance, Gehazi, like him, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, see, my master has spared this name in the Syrian. And not accepting from his hand what he brought as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman, and when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? He said, All is well. My master has sent me to say, There have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. 
And Naaman said, Please be uh, pleased to accept two talents. And he urged them and tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothing and laid them on two of his servants, and they carried them before uh, Gehazi. And when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and put them in the house, and then he sent the men away, and they departed. So lied through his teeth because he's greedy. He is another example of the pride of life. And another example of here you have a sinner that wants to take soil so he can worship his new God, and you got this guy that's supposed to know God, and he's greedy, and he goes after him, and he lies in his master's name, and he gets these, these things. Elisha's a prophet. You think God's not going to tell him? Right? I mean, you can't get any dumber than that. So Gehazi's heart lusted after the financial reward, which can be a pride of life. You're thinking. What are you thinking? Well, thinking about whenever they were, uh, you know, they fought that battle and they were told not to take any of the spoils, and they did. Yeah. And they had to search down until they got to that one tent. Well, and it was very smart because, and I'm not saying this was Elisha's motivation, but you don't want to owe any pagan uh, country, right? And so even though Naaman might have a newfound loyalty to God, who knows where his heart might be in a few years. But not only that, he's still serving the enemy, and he's still from an enemy nation. So if he would have taken that money, there might have been a you owe me type mentality yeah. as well. And if you're going to take a hit to your pride, you don't want to resurrect it right immediately. No. I mean. Yeah. Because then there would have been maybe pride you know, right away. back up. Yeah. Okay. So Gehazi, just so you know how much of a trail this was, he was Elisha's personal servant, meaning that he would have been privy to Elisha's most personal matters, and he would have known them better than anyone. So Naaman, he's wanting you know, to bless Elijah, obviously. So he offers him double what he requested, and then, of course, Gehazi tries to hide it. All right, 25. So he went in, and he stood before his master, and Elisha said to him, where have you been? Mm. Well, he said, well, I, I haven't been anywhere. He said, well, did my heart not go up, go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence like a leper, uh, a, a, a leper like snow. Yeah, when someone asks you what you've been doing, <laughs> that's not the time to play dumb, right? Um, especially a prophet of that nature. Well, and you're with him every day. It's not like you're dumb that he's a prophet. Right, I know, and that's why pride can blind. Like that's why people murder. That's why people rob. That's why people do stuff. They think they can get away with it. And so here we see a, a picture of desire where you've got Naaman who desired to be clean and was willing to listen to those around him and humble himself. And now you have Gehazi who should have been humble, but his desire for wealth and the prestige that comes from, I, I bet it bugged him so much serving Elisha. He, he committed the sin of Lucifer and he wanted those things so bad that he was willing to betray his master and then lie through his teeth. Uh, and there's also, by the way, a precedent for not accepting money from pagan kings. Because you got to keep your loyalty very plain. You're only loyal to God, not money. 
okay? All right, so in 1 John, I want to read these to you in the Passion, the English Standard. It says, don't set the affections of your heart of, uh, on this world or loving the things of the world. The love of the Father and the love of the world are incompatible. For all that the world can offer us, the gratification of our flesh, the allurement of the things of the world, and the obsession with status and importance, none of these things come from the Father but from the world. Though this world and its desires are in the process of passing away, but those who love to do the will of God live forever. And then in the English Standard it says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So the word uh, or phrase pride of life is, quote, a state of arrogance in the resources one possesses. It's not living in abundance that's the problem. It's the heart condition that can come with the abundance. That's why it's so important to continue to ask God for simple things that you could go out and buy, whatever, but you ask Him to provide them for you or why it's important to be a, a working believer uh, uh, giver. Because then you're, uh, like generosity is very key to remaining humble when you're blessed, okay? Uh, developing hospitality, those types of things. So it's the arrogance or pride that can result from what one possesses. Uh, this is a natural earthly response versus thankfulness that comes from the blessing of the Lord with no added sorrow. Generosity is a response of humility out of the material blessings of the Lord. Even the way you view people that society would say is under you, the way you view people in the service industry that bring you your food or whatever it is, how you interact with them, uh, but even going below that uh, to those that are less fortunate, etc. If you view them as beneath you, there's definitely a pride issue. So here's what's sad. And it's a lesson. Naaman, a pagan and an enemy of Israel, humbled himself and followed the prophet's instructions in the will of the Lord after being offended and angry. He had a father's heart and he responded to his servant's wisdom. Naaman means be pleasant. And he was. Gehazi, the servant of Elisha and an Israelite, felt entitled and desired well to such a degree that he betrayed his master and God. He was prideful, a liar, and unrepentant. Therefore, the very disease that afflicted Naaman became his. He also disqualified himself for his future call. In fact, he would probably have taken over Elisha's role. Gehazi means, quote, valley of vision. So again, we're to vision. What do you see? Because whatever you see is what you get. Gehazi saw wealth and he got it at the expense of his health and call. Your vision will either blind you to true riches or bind you to true riches. Okay? So it's very important what has your attention, what has your focus, because that will determine your future. All right, so any uh, questions or thoughts before we get to worship? I think we'll go ahead and take our um, tithes and offerings too. Now I'll pray. Well, I think, um, you know, he wanted basically what uh, Naaman had, and he ended up getting exactly what Naaman had. Oh, <laughs> he did, didn't he? Mm -hmm. Including the disease. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he lusted after those things, not realizing he was going to get it all. 
That's so good and simple and profound. I mean, and if you think about it, it goes to the idea like people that look at people that have things like that, they do desire those things, not understanding the own personal battles, health battles, relationship battles those people possess that they have to work through. They just look at the outward and think, oh, I want that life. And he got it. He got it all. And on top of that, God always thinks gener uh, generationally. So not only did he get all of it, not saying God gave it to him, the decree of the judgment uh, was what made um, Gehazi, uh, well, actually Gehazi's choices is what made him sit with the decree, um, finalize it. But his generations after him, his entire family uh, paid the price. You know, if he, it says Gehazi means the valley of vision. You know, you wonder if he was prophetic himself. <clears throat> It doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't. It doesn't make sense. I do think that immaturity and maturity can play a role, too. I mean, I, I can think of times, uh, you know, when I was younger and I would look at things that people had and different stuff. But, you know, what's really interesting is if people would stop and ask, we did a podcast on this, uh, me and Coach Greg, if you stop and ask yourself, what am I really wanting that this person has? Because typically it's intangibles. It might be freedom, it might be security, it might be safety, it might be rest, it might be joy. There's, it's actually an intangible that you're seeking that is encapsulated in the life that they carry, you know? And I think the only, really, there's a time I could think to be jealous, and you know, when it talked about that the signs and wonders were to provoke, provoke jealousy. jealousy. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, to have that, yeah. Um, I think we have to make sure that we're jealous. We can be jealous, but be jealous for the right thing. Well, and even, you know, it says uh, desire above all to prophesy, that word desire is lust after. So there are times of intense desire that's required uh, to get the goal and jealousy. Uh, I, Rick Joyner and some friend of his were uh, in a competition over who could get as close to the Lord as possible. <laughs> like who would be the judge? <laughs> yeah, and what was funny right. though is when they had met up after like a year or so, the guy's white hair was turning back to brown. And so when Rick Joyner sat down with him, he's like, "Are you coloring your hair? Like what? You know what's going? He's going to give him a rough time, you know." He's like, "No." He said, "When I start having communion every day, and the presence of the Lord just start coming into my room, my hair started changing back." to its original color. So Rick Joyner's like, you won. <laughs> I can't beat that. <laughs> All right, well, let's pray, and then we'll have worship. So uh, I guess maybe that's what you needed most. I just ha I had this thing that I needed to go ahead and teach, and I felt bad because you came in late. But All right, well, Father, we thank you so much uh, for <clears throat> the reality that it's not a yes and no. I mean, a yes that we're supposed to follow you and be, be close to you and a no that we can't enjoy life. That's not what you're asking. What you're asking is that we maintain humility. And that the blessings that you give us that contain no sorrow in them continue to be a blessing, meaning that they freely pass through us. We loosely hold on to them only for the purposes of steward, stewarding and managing them according to your desire and your instruction. That there's nothing in us apart from God that would even get us those things in the first place. And that we actually desire and pursue and lust after those things that are true riches. 
And we know that how we handle monetary and earthly possessions actually qualifies us for the truth. So, Father, it's priority. And uh, so I ask that we not be those that we, it's this pattern, Father, that we just keep seeing over and over and over where a person will reach a certain status in the kingdom, a certain level in their walk or their call, and then they just blow everything up. And so, Father, we ask that you help us cut off the heads of the giants on the inside that would try to cut up our heads off later. We ask that we always <clears throat> be humble. We say who we are based on what you say, that we don't have uh, false humility or pride, that we recognize that all good things in our lives come from God, and that's it. Uh, Father, that we don't um, allow ego to operate in any way, but instead we operate in the true identity of who you have said we are. We don't want it where sinners recognize you more than we do. We want to be living epistles of the goodness of God, the kindness of God, and humility. So, Father, this morning we want to give our tithes and offerings to you. Uh, we ask, Jesus, that you receive them because uh, we're giving them to you with humility, but also as kings to king because you made us kings in the kingdom of God. You made us priests. This is one of our services that we can give to you, Father, that is also a sign, an outward sign to all spiritual hosts, whether uh, angelic or demonic, that our loyalty lies in you. And so we give our monetary funds to you this morning. We ask that you receive them and continue to give us ideas and direction on how to use them. We pray for Ukraine. We ask that you give them victory. We pray this be a grave for Putin. Uh, I pray he gets born again before it's too late. Continue to speak to him in his uh, dreams. And Father, we pray for blessings uh, upon Clovis. In Jesus' name, amen.